I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. The file you are about to hear has been thoroughly scrutinized by the Ethics Committee and approved by the O5 Council for release to trusted associates of the Foundation. This is SCP Unredacted. The other day, a man walked up to me and talked to me about his one true God. I told him that there was no one true God, for all gods were true if they were believed in. And if there was indeed a one true God, it must be his belief that made it so and framed the others as fairies and demons. But in truth, gods were no different from demons or fairies for they were all creatures created by our minds, merely under different titles. I told him that if he must worship, at least be like the Davites, who offered worship in exchange for the gods' service, and if he were to worship just because they were gods, it would be indeed foolish of him, for their power came from no other source but us. It is ourselves that we must believe in. The man was furious and accused me of blasphemy and claimed that his God would damn me to the underworld. But it is not gods who damn us, it is us who make and damn the gods. I have since come to realize that many were unaware of the nature of gods, of what fiendish, parasitic, and pathetic creatures they are. They only latch on to us, for we are the children of the two dragons and indeed harbor great power and potential. As a scholar of the Jia clan, it is my duty to impart such knowledge and let the truth of the gods be known. I shall thus offer a cautionary tale and hope some light can be shed through the act. After all, many would find stories more convincing than mere arguments. Long ago, In a place lost to time lived a king who ruled his kingdom mercifully. Indeed, his land was not the vastest, but its soils fertile and its harvest abundant. Rivers flowed constant and steady across the fields, never too much to create a flood or too little to cause drought. In the villages, people lived peacefully and harmoniously, young and old well taken care of. The cities were likewise prosperous, booming with business and art. In the capital, where the king's palace sat, merchants from distant lands gathered after long journeys, selling exotic artifacts and exchanging eerie tales. And at the palace, four lords served at the king's court, each knowledgeable and experienced in their own fields of governing. 
The kingdom knew little war, for there were no other kingdoms around it, but an army was kept nevertheless, honorable warriors that patrolled the safety of not only the royalties, but the normal citizens as well. Truly, the only thing odd about the kingdom was that its people worshipped no god and begged from no demon. They respected the king and adored the queen, but nothing more. Even the tales of the merchants, all those stories about powerful beings and divine forces from other lands, did not change this. The concept of religion was simply alien to them, and curiously, no demon or god had bothered with the kingdom. But this did not last. It was a night when the stars hanged high and the moon obscured that the queen gave birth to a prince, an heir to the throne. Yet the king was struck with only grief, for the queen gave her life for their son. For a hundred days the king grieved and left the prince to the servants and the kingdom's responsibility to the lords. He came back a sorrowful man, pale and gaunt, ridden with regrets. He no longer connected with his people, as his thoughts often went to his wife, who now lay cold under the ground. The kingdom was prosperous, yet not what it used to be. People avoided the palace and whispered unkind words about the royalties. But on the prince's first birthday, a person walked into the hastily assembled party. The warriors failed to stop them, and the servants merely gasped at their presence. It was an individual with strange beauty, who adorned a black silk robe, standing tall and proud. They stepped upon the court and accused the king of neglecting his people. The four lords all came forth and argued, but was each defeated in their respective field. Their words all fell pale. It was then that the king shot another glance at the stranger and asked for their way of solving the problem. So the being approached the king, but instead of offering suggestions to govern, they whispered in the king's ear that there were ways to bring back the queen. In hushed tones, they explained that both gods and demons had powers of resurrection, but they were far from trustworthy and often took more than they would give. Instead, the king could become a god himself, for surely his own judgment could be trusted. The king's eyes brightened. He stood up and announced that the individual was truly wise and outstanding, who had proved themselves better than even the four lords. He named the person the ambassador, who shall serve as a bridge between the court and the people. The party ended and the celebration for the prince was neglected over the news. That night, the king and the ambassador discussed and planned under the faint moonlight until the stars hanged high and the moon was no more. And an ambassador to the people they indeed were. Every day the ambassador walked among the great fields or on the fine streets, spreading good words of the king. Their voice charming, their manners perfect, and their smile wonderful. The words from their mouth were not only convincing, but alluring as well. Everywhere, people stopped to chat with them and listen to their stories. And every night, the ambassador returned to the palace and reported to the king what they had seen and heard. What the ambassador did was small at first. Only attempts to rebuild the respect for the king 
But as time went on, legends and epics were created, painting the king as a great hero. The once barren mountains on the kingdom's border had become an evil layer of monsters, which the king had led his brave army to destroy once and for all. The vast ocean was now a holy palace of trial and judgment, where the king dived and retrieved a heavenly crown and great treasures. Among the foreign merchants, virtuous saints now walked, who came with magical gifts to praise the king's rightful ruling. And miraculously, as the tales were told and believed, things changed accordingly. The king's gaunt shape was now healthy and muscular, his garments made of the pelts of great and fearsome beasts, and his people cheered him endlessly as their heroic ruler. And as he sat with the ambassador under moonless nights, listening to his own great deeds he never accomplished, his sorrows were washed away, forgotten, replaced with joy and ambition. The palace constantly expanded and grew, reaching the clouds and shining with gold and ivory. Even the land seemed more and more magical by the day, with healing springs hidden in the valleys and fantastical animals striding in the forests. But it was only the first step. The ambassador no longer walked among the people to chat in small cottages and over campfires. Instead, the kingdom's people came to the ambassador willingly. They walked out of their homes and gathered at first in squares and then great halls, which soon became temples and churches. The tales the ambassador spun grew from legends to myths and finally what their people believed to be the truth. The king was first chosen by a god, and then a demigod, and finally a god himself. The prince was not left out, for he had the god's blood in him. Even the four lords were now known to hold great power, and were lesser gods themselves. Monuments and obelisks were erected on every city center, and even dotted the mountains and fields. Prayers were sung for the king and his court, which echoed in great chambers painted with amazing murals. Soon enough, there were festivals where people wore masks and cheered and celebrated the king's glory from dusk till dawn as the stars traveled the sky. And at the high palace in his luxurious throne, the king too celebrated with the prince and the lords. The ambassador stood by his side, long black robes reaching the marble floor, arrogant and beautiful as ever. And at the bottom of the castles, the queen's body lay cold in a forgotten tomb, sinking deeper into the soil. Indeed, the king was at that point already godlike. As his favorite colors were announced, the entire kingdom was coated with them and nothing else. As the ambassador claimed that the king's eyes reached every bit of his land, the entire kingdom folded into one massive city. The sun was no more, for the king preferred starry nights. The city now floated in a heavenly space, for the kingdom of a god should not stand on mortal soil. All jobs and professions were discarded, for an endless party was more pleasant. All were required to wear masks all the time, for the king hated to see any faces less gorgeous than the ambassador. Still, the kingdom prospered as it was the king's wishes. Yet he was still no god. 
There was one thin line he failed to cross, even with all the faith and beliefs of his people. He discussed with the ambassador again, this time for days on end, as there were no longer methods to determine the passage of time. With the sun and moon both gone, only the stars shone and blinked endlessly. And as the ambassador stepped out of the palace, they ordered for sacrifices to be made. And as per the king's wishes, his people rejoiced and obeyed. In the Grand Kingdom's grand city, only laughter was heard. And when the ambassador returned, their fine silk robe was tainted red. Everyone had shed their blood, and the magical rivers of the city were no longer clean, but flowed with the life essence of the city's denizens. When the ambassador walked through the court, the four lords all came forth and donated their share. The king awaited them on his throne. The prince stood nearby. He had turned out to be a fine young man who shared his mother's elegance and beauty, but a mask now covered his face, for he was no match for the ambassador. When the ambassador arrived and presented him a dagger, the king knew there was one more sacrifice to be made. He got up and watched calmly as the prince's scream was cut short by the blade to his throat. A god needed no heir after all. And it was done. The king felt great power, greater than he ever had, and at that moment he was indeed a god. The four lords applauded their king's ascension, and the people outside the palace, who had newly bled for the king, felt it as well. A great party was thrown, and revelry was throughout the kingdom. The king laughed as he watched this, as the ambassador stood by his side, and his wife's cold body sank deeper. After all, what was a mortal life to a living god? As the prince bled out, the ambassador whispered sweetly into the king's ears. They led the king upward, climbing to parts of the palace he didn't even know existed. They spiraled up a tower, and the king could hear his people, his followers cheering, getting louder and louder. But when he arrived at the top, and as the black stars shone upon him, he was greeted with a lasso. The king turned to the ambassador in confusion, but they only smiled and replied this was the final step. After all, what god would dwell in a mortal body of weakness? A final sacrifice, so that a god can be made. The king was shocked and refused to submit. However, the ambassador, striding tall and proud, grabbed the king and dragged him toward his death. The king found all his divine power somehow useless against them. Even his strength, earned in the heroic tales, was ineffective. He struggled, but the ambassador's grip was tight, and he found himself as helpless and weak as the man he started out as. He yelled and pleaded to his people, but the only response was cheers and laughter, as if he was on stage and the people were a mere audience. No one was there to help him, and indeed no one would, for his end was told in every tale the ambassador spread, secret only to the king. Even the prince had heard it, only he thought he would inherit the throne after his father's demise. And over the years, the people believed in it, 
believed this was how their king was to become a god, and it was made true. As his neck was strangled against the rope and his breath ran thin, he finally became what the ambassador had made him to be, a god, but powerless in his own realm against a simple lasso. For three days the king was hanged. His blood streamed down from the high palace and seeped into every inch of the city. For three days he struggled and twitched and refused to go out, yet all the sounds he made were drowned out by the laughter of the ambassador and the applause of his own people. For three days his body grew colder and colder, until it was as dead as the queen deep beneath the castle, until he was but an empty husk, a hole of his previous self. On the fourth day, the rope broke, and the king's shell of a body hit the ground. Rope still around his neck, the new god stood up, stumbling and following the ambassador down to his court. There, the ambassador sat their king and god to his throne, now filled with spikes, so that his empty body wouldn't slip and fall, so that he would sit there forever. The city rejoiced once more, this time never-ending, as the four lords all kneeled and the ambassador stood as beautiful and proud as ever next to the hanged king. To this day, the city, or Alagata as it is called, still floats in its own twisted realm, preying upon those who stumble in. I thus urge my readers to be wary of gods and what they have to offer. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, join my Discord community, hire me on Fiverr, or help support me by becoming a patron for as little as $3 a month. Regardless of tier, all patrons get early access to every single episode. The links are in the description. I don't have the talent it takes to write a skip. All I do is read. Original authors make this podcast possible, so credit to the original author. Their link's in the description. Show them some love as well. Consider becoming a member of the SCP Wiki, upvote their work, and maybe write a skip of your own. Maybe I'll read it here someday. You never know if you never try. The content of this podcast and content relating to the SCP Foundation, including the SCP Foundation logo, is licensed under Creative Commons ShareLight 3.0, and all concepts originate from scpwiki.com and its authors. This recording being derived from this content is hereby also released under Creative Commons ShareLike 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people. Or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel by personnel. 
Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the foundation.